I'm Isabel, she, her, hers. And I'm David, he, him, his. And we're two therapists with ADHD who sit down to have some chats about ADHD. We can't promise we'll stay on topic or be professional or even remotely mature, but we can promise that you'll end up looking at you or your loved one's beautiful neurodivergent brain in a shiny new way. This is not a therapy session. This is something shiny. I love it. Do you like uh, it? That's amazing. And can this just be the intro? You saying that and me freaking out about how amazing it is? Yeah. Did I, and you that dropping could, your voice? That could be, that could be our <laughs> first so intro. <laughs> so without further ado, welcome to Something Shiny. I'm David. <laughs> So, David, you had a lot of privilege, talked about it. What did you notice as you started owning more and more of a label? I mean, you've created, you know, a pretty intense non-for-profit to change the world and understanding around, like, learning disabilities. What was it like for you to start this mission? What happened to the friends in your life? Well, I think to, to just answer the earlier part of... I was invited to leave four schools. It's like the invitation to a party that you don't get to attend. The fifth one was just the one that I lasted at. It was a good fit, and then I got to college. But um, up until that point, I wouldn't say I had found a community by any means. Um, I had a family that backed me, and that I acknowledge. And if they're listening, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Like, thanks. I don't go through the whole list. we got a big family. Um, I couldn't tell you that I was dreaming of this moment. In fact, when I first stepped into a classroom to just try and connect with one student, who, by the way, with the exception of our shared neurodiversity, we had a lot of difference. He was from a single-parent household, Cape Verdean family, uh, lived in Providence, Rhode Island. And um, yet, despite a number of differences, that was the closest relationship I had when I first started in college and then this thing built and then thank God I met Marcus. And um, I think the two of us were like, oh wait, you're the kid who goes to the hallway and the get your medicine at three o'clock and oh, okay, let's just keep seeing if the snowball can get some steam. Um, and so I think to now it's been 25 years, look around and be like, oh, this moment we were for sure planning. But I mean, I don't know if you want to add to that Marcus, but. I mean, I mean, yeah, I think, I think that, I mean, people I think now think that I was always, you know, talking about my learning difference, that I grew up in a home where that was the case. Um, you know, I went to public school where really all throughout my life and, and was in Keene State College and starting to become a teacher. And it was through really just a couple of phone conversations that Dave and I had after an experience of seeing how my story was changing the environment of the classroom that I was student teaching in. And um, you were the, I said, Dave, you know, I don't think anyone's gonna listen to us. We're 22, we have learning disabilities. There's a lot of things stacked against us. Those expectations are lower. Um, and I know, and I think that like one of the things that we did so early on was try and like mask our learning disability in many ways by overcompensating, you know? And so Dave and I were always having to be so extra professional and like, you know, we were the only 21 year olds showing up to meetings in suits and things like that to get people to convince them that we could do this. And I think that was so much of that was just hiding that experience. But yeah, no, really the first person that I kind of openly talked about my learning disability with in a way that wasn't like, doesn't this suck, was Dave and I, you know? A long time ago now. 
I want to, can I jump in with my story a little bit? Is that okay? I don't want to detract from everything that's happening. I'm just having a lot of feels. Um, you know, something that's coming to my mind, so just a little bit about me, um, daughter of uh, Polish immigrants, you know, first generation, kind of like live that immigrant dream, like, you know, rags to riches kind of attempt. And um, I didn't realize I was neurodivergent until I was in my mid to late 30s. And I met David over here. Like I, I went from, you know, kind of like now, if I look back on my life, I can see I, you know, I was medicated for other things. I was medicated on Wellbutrin, which years later I was like, huh, it's so interesting that like in college, that's like what got me through college. And then when I tried to wean off, I walked around for like three months going, Hey everyone, I think I have ADHD. And like, everyone's like, no, you don't like what? (laughs) Um, point is, is, is I think the thing that as you were talking that it made me think of is this moment. All right. So I'm literally, I'm a, I'm a professional. I somehow managed to get through like grad school, right? There's no way I'm neurodivergent in my stereotyped head, right? This is like the myth I'm walking around with. And side note, I will back up and say, I think I found my first tribe when I was grouped into the gifted and uh, what is it? Gifted critical thinking classroom and track in my school, which if I look back, I'm like, that's, that was just a place to put all the neurodivergent amazing humans because we would make like art po- like it was so fun but anyway point is is um i i don't know that i ever even thought that i could live a like like live more authentically with myself like you know you kind of i don't know you hit your 30s you hit your 40s pick a date pick an age you just kind of think you know yourself and there was a moment where I was working with David and I was continually bugging him about everything neurodivergent and going like, oh my gosh, I have another client. All these clients, I feel like I have so much fun with them. What's that about? I don't know. They just talk fast and I love it. You know, like I'm getting so excited. And um, there was a moment, I kid you not, I'm like shaking even as I remember it. And I came to you at the end of a long day and it was, or the next morning rather, and I just see you across this little, like, little back room in the in the therapy offices. With my right arm to the mailboxes, and I'm leaning on the counter, and you, you walk up to exactly, me. Exactly. And walk up to me, and I go, and I have tears in my eyes. I go, David, I think, I think I might have ADHD. And you go, yeah, welcome to the tribe. And I burst into tears. And, you know, I just want to bring that up because I think that that's a piece of the story, too. It's not just, you know, and I do think there's massive generational differences in how this comes to grips, right? Like I'm thinking about how my tribe now are other neurodivergent parents <laughs> and how odd it is to come to it from that perspective of both, oh, I'm now aware of this in myself and I might be seeing it in my children and what does this mean and like what are my strengths here? Like there's just so much around and I have to say I haven't ever walked into a room like I did into this because I am new to the OI. I'm new to this experience. And I walked into this room. First off, just visuals. There's snacks on the tables, everyone. Oh, oh what else Variety is on Variety the of snacks. There's fidgets. Uh-huh. Amazing spinners of various materials. Is it all on one table that you have to just, like make everyone know that no, you need No, they're all over the place. Oh. There's ample water bottles. People are, are feeding you all the time. People are curious about the light and the sound. I mean, I just, I don't know. I can't tell you how I'm saying this. Like, this is the first time in my life I've felt this. And I know that there's so many people listening. (laughs) And the water bottle falls. There's so many people listening who I just wish you could just feel it from us as we're talking about it. Because it's real. So thank you for making this happen and talking today. Anyway, back to what we were talking about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hide the feelings. 
I think, but I want to make sure I'm, I'm kind of taking what you're saying as well, and I'm, I'm raising it up. We have, yeah, get it. <laughs> I, think, I think what we have really normalized in terms of the LD neurodivergent experience is that you have to hate school, you have to fail in school, and I watch a lot of people invalidate their history because of whether they're succeeding and it's taking too long. A lot of parents or adults realize they are neurodivergent when they lose their structure, when they're not in school, when they change a job, they have when a they kid. have a child. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think we, what you really speak to is a part of the world that I needed to see. That even though you can have all, and I'm not going to say anything specific, but you can have all the success in school and still feel different. And I'm just so grateful to know you that you've been able to like share that with us. And for years, um, what you all don't know, and none of you know, is that for years I was telling Isabel about what this place feels like. And I want to ask, uh, and particularly putting you on the spot as our youngest generation, you know, David, you mentioned something like we're supposed to like hate school and fail and twice as hard work and then and like you're you're li you're living a different generation than us and i'm curious what are you hopeful for has that narrative changed or do you feel that the narrative's changing and there's a lot of folks who are um watching and i think cheering more for you than anybody else which is the way it should be because you're hopefully going to help us understand what we now as elder millennials or zennials or whatever we're here to back you like we work for you so I'm curious what you're seeing, what you're hopeful for. Okay, so when I was in middle school and elementary school, I saw a lot of like pullout classes, but now that I have a little brother who's about like, I think he's like 10, 11, I don't know how old that kid is. He's little, <laughs> but now that I have him and he's like telling me his experience at school, it's like, I feel like it's a little bit better than when I was in school, when I used to get like pulled out for like different like you know, classes and stuff. Now they actually have an in-class support teacher and she works with him and he's, and like, she's amazing. And I wish I had an in-class support teacher when I was younger mm -hmm. because I felt like the kids probably wouldn't have like picked on me as much because they do realize when you're like leaving mid-class. So I hope in-class supports actually help, but I also know a lot of school districts aren't fortunate enough to have them because of like funding and like usually special education department is severely underfunded, especially in public school districts. So I hope that his in-class support teacher is able to help him with that and that he won't have a lot of like bullying and go through a lot of ridicule, that were ridiculing that I went through. And I think he's doing better than me in school, honestly. Like he's a fast learner, but we also think he might have ADHD and dyslexia. But he's a really fast learner and he makes friends, like genuine friendships. And I didn't have that chance to make genuine friendships when I was his age because I was always being taken out of classes and kids were too busy like realizing my difference instead of realizing that I was a kid just like them, just trying to make it. So I, I, I'm gonna keep you on, spot, on the spot. Okay. Yeah, it's happening. Feel the pressure, no. What would you want everyone else to know about what it's like for your generation right now? What, what do you think we need to know? I think we need to know that there are some benefits to the like technology side, but then there's also some like really things that like aren't really that beneficial. Like an example of this was in, I think I was in the fifth grade 
we take those standardized state tests that you know all the school districts have to take and like it has something to do with funding I don't know so we take those tests and at the time I didn't have all the proper accommodations I needed because I was still in fifth grade and I wasn't properly diagnosed with my specific LD until seventh grade so in the fifth grade we take these like we call it in New Jersey Park like it was a standard test and I didn't have my like own room accommodation. So I take it with the rest of the class. Like mind you, it's like 20 kids in this class and everybody takes it online and like doing it on the laptop really beneficial, you know, like easier than writing on paper. But the downside of it was everybody finishes their test and me, I'm the last person in the whole classroom doing the test. And I'm so embarrassed, I'm so ashamed because everybody's like, come on Kayla, like, can't you just hurry up and finish the stupid test? Like we wanna play games now. And I was so embarrassed and I was like, I'm trying, I'm trying. And the teacher was like, don't say that to her. But it just wasn't enough. Like if I had my proper accommodations, I would have been able to take the test in a different room and I wouldn't have had to go through that like feeling of well, really bullying, yeah. you know, because kids yeah. remember it and like they constantly and constantly do it. And like, I know everybody wanted their time to like play their games and be able to like be rowdy again, but they weren't allowed that because of me. And I felt really bad. But now that I'm older, I realize it wasn't my fault. I really just blame my school district at the time for not giving me the tools I needed. Oh my gosh. So I'm mm -hmm. not Gen Z, but I have a Gen Z -er. Yeah. Yeah. So at having a Zoomer, my experience is that wait zoomer <laughs> is that that i missed that memo. i'm i'm i'm, I'm more i'm such a fan so right sorry. now i just need to pause that makes so much sense okay anyway please continue sorry so i think one thing that we're gonna continue to see right now right there's a belief that okay if you have ld if you're neurodivergent you have autism you struggle with school that is not the case when you receive early interventions because my child is not just thriving, he dunks on the neurotypicals. Like he is, <laughs> like he is, yeah. he is owning on everything. Like he got fives on all of his AP tests. He's taking half of his course load are college courses, not easy ones. He's taking calculus. You know, this year he's taking physics. Like. He's gonna finish with the first two years of an engineering degree down. This kid's gonna get a full ride scholarship somewhere, and he's gonna double major in engineering and business. Like, it's gonna happen. And I think we're gonna see it more and more because the first step is acceptance. If you have parents who accept your difference, who seek solutions, and who find resources for you, then you receive those early interventions and the sky is the limit. So one of the things you're saying right now is if we're thinking about like the generational differences, you're kind of saying, and I'm paraphrasing, yeah. don't sleep on accommodations. Early intervention really matters. Now we can see early intervention because in other generations you might not have seen effective early intervention. So with effective early intervention, things can feel differently. And that's a massive like zoomer difference is what you're saying has and you know your your mileage may vary everyone has their own unique highest potential I really believe that but we are never gonna know what each individual person's highest potential is and there's so many different types of intelligences you know some people are physically like gifted right they're amazing runners dancers some people are artistically gifted those are intelligences you know 
and we need to we need to um, accept that there's all different types of intelligences and that we need to embrace all the different types of intelligences and that if we give children early interventions they will reach their unique highest potential whatever that is and then they can contribute their gifts to society and, and i think like that you're talking about like again like the early intervention what we can do how we can find potential looking at this differently right and now now yeah cool. well i was you know what that made me okay so something that was just floating over my head just generally generationally too and i'm borrowing from julie who spoke earlier today and was incredible i'll put it in the show notes it has to go <laughs> now yeah. Notes, yeah um but she said something that blew my mind which i didn't, I didn't even register right but it's like gen z is the first generation to have social emotional learning standards set up as like a part of the thing that the educators the systems funding what have you like you know so-called experts come in and help right like it's it's like what what's i think so interesting though is that it's i how to put it, it's it's not just about like that individual kid getting like the supports and having a parent or, you know, person who's caring for them, like nail it. Right. But I think it's also it's like the systemic shift. It's like, wait a minute, I'm because th I'm thinking, I'm thinking about those other kids in the, in the classroom. I'm like, what? Like, that's on. That's also a little bit on them. And that's a little bit on me, you know, and I'm not saying it's on the teacher. Right? But do you know what I'm, I'm saying? Like, there's like a lot more <laughs> that exists in this you're talking about what awareness does to culture exactly and what it does when yeah and i also think it ta things take so much longer than you like hope and wish they will right and then, i just remember when dave and i were first developing the eye to eye curriculum i was there was a study that came out by marshall raskins around social emotional learning and i think it might have been one of the early studies that was published around it and they they followed ld individuals for like 20 years and who was the who was successfully launching into adulthood and it was advocacy skills, some strong metacognition, strong social emotion, all these things that we know now that seem to be ubiquitous in terms of the conversation around education. That was in 2001. Yeah. That was 22 years ago. Yeah. And we were doing that work and trying to develop a, an art curriculum that could deliver those skills to young people. And you know, we were, Dave and I, gra I graduated in 2002. So like that was published like, the, like when I was a junior in high school. And so the idea of social emotional learning, I, that would have been a foreign concept. You know, and we said it in here and everybody knows what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And even when we were first starting to develop eye to eye, there was a lot of push. Why aren't you tutoring? Like, didn't Dave, didn't eye to eye start out as tutoring, right? The first Yeah, you know, every bad idea, we went through all of them. And we thought, because we had been tutored, and tutor means fixing, and we thought we needed to be fixed. And Overcoming Dyslexia had just been written, and it's a great book, by the way, but the title, not so great. And we were like, yeah, we're just going to, we're going to do a tutoring thing. And that was awful. Yeah, it turns out I couldn't, I couldn't read, so tutoring a kid who couldn't read really wasn't a great way to go about it. Yeah, especially when the person who's tutoring you also can't read. <laughs> but social-emotional learning, boom, changes everybody. Yeah, and we've spent 25 years you know, advocating for that and fighting for that, and it's still, there's so much, so lack of a conversation around it. So just how long, how long it takes with these generations to make these shifts is, I don't know, I'm very uh, impatient. I think I do want to speak to something though, and, and I want to make sure that like anyone can disagree with me. When I started with eye to eye, when I started doing any kind of outreach work or advocacy work, talking with other kids, I, I'll put that about 18 years ago, right? The difference I saw is when I would be, when I began, I would say these things like, who in this room has a learning difference? Raise your hand. I got two. 
and I would start with both my arms in the air, right? And you would see people raise their hands like this, like, like, and what people that the video, like anyone listening can't see is like, my hand is up, but I'm like leaning into it and it's not getting past my shoulder. Like people weren't very happy to raise their hand. It's a very squirmy, like, it's a squir- oh, like, oh, just yeah, kidding, like, just like the yeah. debate can exist that I raised my hand, like that kind of thing, right? <laughs> Versus now. And what I've seen in the last, and, and tell me if I have this wrong, because I think you're, you're closer to this generation, right? I walk in a room now and I go like, who here has a learning difference? And it's like, neurodiversity, I have these things. And like, this is fine. And what do we do? And how do we fight society? And ableism sucks. And it's like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, does this make sense to you what I'm saying? Yeah, it makes sense to me. Like, I really do see it like with eye to eye, like students. Does that make sense? So I see it with a lot of students that know they're neurodiverse, but students that don't have those labels, they're not like really too sure to like just come out and say it. But I feel like it also matters on your school setting. Like, I've been lucky to go to like private school for high school, and I've seen students that like know that they have an LD, and they're like, you know, they're proud of it. They're like completely fine. But I also know, like, I also have friends that go to the public high school in my town, and they're still kind of ashamed of it, just because I feel like they haven't had enough support that I've been fortunate to have in my high school years yet, and enough staff members that are also neurodivergent like them. So like recently I started opening up to my teachers like in the beginning of the school year, like that's how I like, I go to my teachers, I tell them what I need, I advocate for myself. And then I have my own teachers telling me like, oh yeah, actually Kayla, I have ADHD. And I'm like, oh really? Like that's starting to make sense now. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like it depends on the environment and the school's resources because some schools don't have resource rooms or like a LD center and other schools do. So I see my schools, my friends that go to public school, they still have a little like difficulty admitting that to people. Whether on the other hand, I'm just like all about it. I'm like, yeah, like I have dyslexia. Like, yeah, I'm part of eye to eye. Like, you know, I'm proud of it because I realize it's like, you know, it's like a superpower, like a strength. Oh, it's such a strength. And like, here's the thing, what you're saying is Kids that aren't shamed feel better about it. Yeah. Mm. And we can't really learn with shame. It just makes us avoid. And, and I think you're really talking about an important difference. It's not just you're saying like private school's good, public school's bad. You're really saying based on that school, the awareness in that school, the teachers, the students, everyone's going to have a different experience. Whereas maybe 15 years ago, I'd be like, most people are not going to have that experience. You're saying now it depends. Also, a lot of teachers are not fully aware on what like neurodivergency is. I remember in the eighth grade, I had a teacher ask me like, what exactly is dyslexia? She said, what can I do for you? And I had to explain to her like, what was my best learning strategy? And like, I still explain to some teachers today that just aren't well equipped for it or hasn't had the like practice and training Mm -hmm. to handle students that are neurodiverse. Like I told my math teacher last semester, I was like, listen, like Mr. Robinette, I work better if you talk with me, not talk at me. Like I can't do this lecture style (laughs) math class. Like I need office hours, I need steps. You give me the steps to the equation, I will figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like knowing what you need. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever have that thought where you think, hey, I have nothing, stop. Remember, you're something. Something's shiny. That's right, just as you are. 
If you like what you heard and you want to hear more free episodes of this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Instagram as Something Shiny Podcast. And if you're looking for more information, useful links, definitions, visuals, everything we can think of and more is on our website at somethingshinypodcast.com. And it's all free. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in two weeks.